All right, good evening, CTK. Good evening. My name is Stephen, and uh, if I haven't met you yet, I'm the business operations manager and the currently deacon postulant here at CTK. And like, yep. Save that, save that for the ordination. <laughs> um, if I haven't met you, as Jesse likes to say, um, I, would, I would really like to meet you, get to know you, hear your story, hear about your life. And um, unlike Jesse, I'm really just saying that. I don't really want to. <laughs> so, no, no, I'm serious. Um, I live a little ways away from here. Uh, if you want to come to my house, I have a kegerator, so it's worth the drive. <laughs> All right. So the message this evening, is this very loud? No, it's good? Okay. Um, so I think the message this evening, it needs to come with a trigger warning because um, I'm going to talk about something that most people would rather avoid. You would rather avoid talking about it, you would rather avoid thinking about it, and you would definitely rather avoid experiencing it. And that is suffering. But in the world... We're guaranteed, if you're a faithful Christian, we're going to suffer. But show of hands, who likes to suffer? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's the thing. See, I don't know anybody who really enjoys suffering. But, like I said, if, if you're a Christian, you're going to suffer. And so if you're a Christian, we need to get a biblical worldview of suffering. Yeah, we've got to look to the Word because the Word is for all of our lives. The Word is for that joyful part of our lives when everything is going good and we are happy that way. But it's also for the not-so-joyful times. And so we need to look at it. We need to look into it to see in maturity how it affects all of our lives. Now, um, like I said, this is about suffering. And this is not the sermon I wanted to preach when Jesse said, hey, uh, Acts 6 and 7 is your passage, I was like, yes, I want to preach a positive, lighthearted message. See, I wanted to preach about how in Acts 6, there arose a complaint among the Greek-speaking widows. They were apparently getting shorted in the distribution of the food. And so they made a complaint, and the apostles there said, yeah, it is not good. It is not right for these widows to be suffering this way. But also, our service is preaching the word and praying. So it would not be good for us to serve at tables. So to solve the problem, what they did was they selected seven men. These men were upright um, in reputation. They were full of the spirit and they were full of wisdom. And so they chose these seven. And these seven are what we now know as deacons. Those seven were the foundation of the diaconate in the church. And so they served at the table. They became administrators, and that's how they served the church. They took care of the widows and the orphans. And the effect of selecting those seven now, is that in Acts 6, it says, after they were selected, the number of disciples in Jerusalem multiplied greatly. So you can see, if you select deacons, the church will multiply greatly, I think. So, ah, 
And so Acts 6 says the first deacon named was Stephen. (laughs) Yes. And Stephen was full of faith. He was full of power. He was full of grace. And he was doing signs and wonders. And the church was multiplying. So now, see, that's the sermon I want. (laughs) That's what I want to preach. (laughs) I think it's pretty appropriate for CTK. Got a deacon. You name him Stephen. He's full of grace. The church multiplies. So listen, if you want to refer to me as Stephen full of grace, that would be really great from now on. Yeah, no, don't do that. If I could be Stephen full of grace, that would be, that would be good. Anyway, that's what I wanted to preach. However, in my, in my prayer and preparation time, um, the, the Spirit really led me to the end of the story, not the beginning of the story. I think that we're going to find in the end of the story uh, the real message of Stephen's life. He was full of grace. He was full of power. He was doing signs and wonders. But see, all that activity, that made him, uh, um, it it drew the uh, interest of the Jewish authorities. And the Jewish authorities were a little jealous. They didn't like it. And so they stirred up trouble with Stephen. And then they got false... uh, um, accusers to accuse him of things he hadn't done and then they brought him to trial and in his trial Stephen full of the Holy Spirit made this great speech he he was speaking to the council of the Jewish authorities and he essentially gave them their history he talked to them about their history from Abraham through Isaac and Jacob and Moses and Joshua and then David and Solomon, and he talked to them right up until um, the present time, their present time. And he ended sort of like this. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. You are just like your fathers. What prophet did they not persecute and kill? Even the ones who announced the coming of the promised one. And then the promised one has come. His name was Jesus, whom you betrayed and murdered. He said, you received the law as given to you by the voice of angels, and you didn't keep it. I don't think he was going to get off with that kind of speech. But anyway, that brings us right up into our, our passage. And I just want to read it again. Chris, thanks for reading it. Um, and it's uh, Acts 7, uh, 54, if you want to read along. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged. And they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus, standing at his right hand... And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open, the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice, and they stopped up their ears, and they rushed together at him. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said that, he fell asleep. And so we have the story of Stephen, the deacon, the first Christian martyr, 
So you might see why I don't want to preach this sermon at all. Uh, I don't like it. So I, I don't like to think about suffering and death. I don't like to suffer. I don't like to watch other people suffer, especially people I love and know. Especially the suffering that ends in death. But it's a fact of life. I know in, in this congregation right now, there are stories of suffering and death. And I know it's agonizing. I, I don't know all the stories, but, but I know some. And I know the pain and the hurt that goes along with it. When someone is in the midst of suffering and hurt, you know, that there are not many words that you can find that will comfort them. You know, if you try Romans 8, 28, hey, all things work to the good of those who are called according to his purposes. You know, that really, that just doesn't cut it. And neither do any of the other various passages in Scripture. If they're hearing them for the first time, shooting somebody with that God gun does not help. It, do, it just doesn't cut through. But, you know, there is a way to get through. There must be a way to get through. Because the Bible promises comfort as well as suffering. And so it's incumbent on us to take a look at suffering and what the Bible says and, and try and discern that way. Because in the midst of suffering, it is, it is very hard to determine what to do. It is very hard to learn the things that can ease your suffering or that can provide you some comfort or that can help you see the light at the end of the tunnel, to know with confidence that you're not alone, that you've not been abandoned by God, that God is good, and that he promises to lead you through the wilderness, not just to the wilderness. And the time to do this is before you're in the midst of suffering, if that is at all possible. That is the time to lay the foundation. That is time to do the things, to deepen your relationship with Christ and to get uh, or the uh, fullness of the Holy Spirit. It's before you're in grief and pain. It's before you're overwhelmed because when you're overwhelmed, you cannot or it is very hard to find that comfort. Now, the Holy Spirit does move miraculously in people's suffering with that comfort and that refinement. But, you know, it, it just makes sense to do that beforehand. I think about it like tent pegs. So if you camp, you know that tonight, the time to set up your tent and pound in the tent pegs is before the storm arrives. It's when it's calm. Because when you do that, when the storm arrives, you're secure in your tent. The tent pegs are in and the wind can blow, but the tent's staying where it is. Try and picture setting up a tent in a thunderstorm driving tent pegs, and that's a picture of trying to find comfort and strength for the first time in the midst of suffering. We don't want to do that. So, with knowledge that if we're, you know, that if we're not suffering now, the Bible promises that we will. We should take a look and try and come up with some ways that we can prepare for that time ahead. Now, if 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 you're not in that time of suffering, and I hope you aren't right now, if life is good, job is good, family's good, home's good, friendships are good, that is so good. But that, that is not the time to relax. 
that it's not time to sit back. That's the time to pound these pegs in deep, drive them in as deep as you can get them, so that when the storm comes, you're prepared. Now, I just want to, just so you know, this is an academic talking here. I just want to tell you a little of my of a story of mine, and um, I hope I can get through it. So many of you know that my mom died recently, or, or it seems recently to me. It's, it's been in the past year. It's been about a year. But um, she had, I, I know many of you ha- have the same story, but she had dementia and Alzheimer's. And due to our life circumstances, we couldn't be with her a lot. Um, and so to me, the onset of her disease seemed very, very sudden. One visit, she was all there. The next visit, she was not. And then, whew, my dad died in their living room right in front of her, and that sent her over the edge. She, um, uh, as dementia and, and Alzheimer's will be, it, it was not good. Well, she was able to then move with my sister. She lived with my sister for uh, a year or two until the symptoms of Alzheimer's really got too complex um, to handle. We moved her into a memory care unit. And I, I can tell you, it was so very, very hard to visit with her. I would sit and hold her hand, and she did not know who was holding her hand. And she had had a great life. She traveled the world. She was an Air Force wife. She got to go all over the place. She did everything she ever wanted to do. In fact, she did everything she wanted to do. And um, to sit with her and her not, not just know me, but not remember any of those experiences that I remembered. And she couldn't talk. and Her ability to speak had gone. And so sitting there, it was agonizing. At least it was agonizing for me. And uh, you know, I'm not that touchy-feely, and neither was my mom, but we, we would hold hands. And like I said, she did not have an idea who was holding her hand. And she would look like, why are you holding my hand? So anyway, there were times during that that I just wanted to yell and scream and ask God, where's the glory in this? Where are you getting the glory from my mom's Alzheimer's? Why does this exist in the world? Why do you allow this to come on? And I, and I, I can tell you, watching that, um, and, I, and I don't want to put a number figure on it, but it, if I didn't have prior foundation, if, if I hadn't been studying and praying, if I didn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if I didn't have the Holy Spirit, I can tell you my experience would have been a hundred times worse than it is. And I don't know about yours, but that's what I kept thinking about. And then I thought about this. I grieve when I go to funerals of non-believers because I think, how are they coping with the grief they're experiencing without the hope of Jesus in their life. I just don't, I just don't know how they can do it. And so uh, that's a little bit of my story. Now, I. Howard Marshall, uh, a theologian, he says that in the Bible, suffering is considered an intrusion into the created world. So we, we weren't created to suffer and die. God made the world and he made it good. And then when sin entered, 
also suffering, conflict, pain, agony, corruption, and death. They all entered with it. Now here's the good news. The good news is, in the new heaven and earth, there is no suffering and death. Jesus has overcome that. It's completely, finally, and fully abolished. We're not going to live through that anymore. That's, but that's in, the new, that's in the new world, the new heaven. And Jesus came, and his work was to li- deliver humans, us humans, from sin. And when he delivers you from sin, he delivers you from suffering and corruption and death. And we know that's the end of the story. With his death, resurrection, and ascension, he overcame death. He defeated it. He overcame sin and put it away. But right now, we are living in that in-between time between his ascension and resurrection, or resurrection and ascension, and his coming again. We live in that in-between time when we still have to deal with the consequences of sin in the world. And I want to say this follows closely on what Jesse said last week. We live in a fallen world, and the world is going to world. And when the world worlds, we're going to suffer for it. Okay? But just like he said, you don't have to go out there and, th- and pick theological fights with people around you just to prove how bold your witness is. And with suffering, it's the same. You don't have to go searching for suffering. If you're living a faithful Christian life, the Bible promises you are going to suffer. So don't go seek it. Don't leave here going seeking suffering. Just take the suffering that you have as it comes. Okay. Suffering. This is why we so much need the Holy Spirit in our lives. So the Holy Spirit's name is the Comforter, and that's not coincidental. The Holy Spirit's named uh, the Helper, and that's the only way that we can endure the suffering that we're going to experience in this world. With the Spirit is the only way that we can see suffering as participating with Christ. With the Spirit, it's the only way we can see suffering as a cross that we can take up and bear like Jesus bore his, Christ, his cross. Without the Spirit, it's impossible to endure the suffering. You can't do it on your own. In fact, if you try to do it on your own, you're already failed. That's just an indicator that you're not going to be able to withstand it. But the good news is, the way to increase our spiritfulness to withstand this is deepening our relationship with Jesus Christ. And and more good news, God wants a relationship with us. And he designed us for it. He designed our hearts to be in relationship with him, and full of the Holy Spirit. And so we come back to Stephen. In Stephen's short story in this Bible, Luke tells us five times that Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit. And so we say, how did Stephen get full of the Holy Spirit? Well, knowing he was full of the Holy Spirit, we can look at him, and perhaps we can get some encouragement and some comfort in preparing ourselves for our suffering. So, I owe some of these thoughts to my good friend, 
John Piper, whom I've never met, but I consider him a good friend. So, and he says we can see suffering as a window, we can see it as a door, and we can see it as a way to reflect Jesus. So we can see it as a window to see Jesus, we can see it as a door to Jesus, and then we can see it as a way to reflect the character of Jesus, which we should all be manifesting. Okay, so... Stephen's suffering was a window. In Acts 7.55, it says that Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw. So the Holy Spirit allowed Stephen to look into heaven, and like a window opening up, he saw into it. And what did he see? He saw Jesus. He saw the glory of God, and then he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. So just before he's about to get stoned, the Spirit allowed him to experience his circumstances in a way that he was able to look up. So the very opposite of what you might expect, somebody about to be stoned. He was looking up and not in anger and not at despair and not in yelling at God. He looked up into heaven and saw the glory of God. So... Is it possible to see your sufferings as a window to see the glory of God? Well, yeah, it is. But only with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the only way when people are stoning you or you're suffering for any cause that you can at all possibly view what you're going through and look into heaven and see the glory of God. You will not be able to do it on your own, as I said. And this is, again, where prior preparation will add to your ability. Deepening your relationship with Jesus will open you to the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And if you'll recall back in Lent, we mentioned, as we were preparing to to celebrate or to go through Jesus' sufferings, we said there were a few things you could really do to deepen your relationship. You could fast. You could repent. You could pray. You could read the word. You could spend time with Jesus. And that, I'm just saying, I'm reiterating that. These things will be essential to allowing you to suffer. Uh, to suffer to God's glory. Now, just an aside right here. I don't want you to miss this about this passage. This is so Trinitarian, and we, or we Anglicans are Trinitarian. So we have the Spirit, full, Stephen, full of the Spirit. We have God, and we see the Jesus standing at the right hand of God. So even in the early church, there was this Trinitarian idea. Okay, so now a window. What about a door? So this doorway comes from Stephen's vision of uh, heaven. So most visions of heaven, we see, like in Hebrews, we see Jesus, and where is he? He's seated at the right hand of God. But Stephen looks up and his vision is Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now, do you think that's significant that he would say he's standing at the right hand of God? I think so. John Piper says this. Stephen was allowed this vision of Jesus standing to welcome his servant home. It's like if you're in your home and someone whom you've missed and you love and you love to see comes home, and they're at the door, you don't sit in your seat. 
You get up. You jump up. You go to the door. You open it. You welcome him home. You give him a big hug. Well, that's the same vision that Stephen got of Jesus. It was a doorway to Jesus welcome his sheep home. And same with us. We can do that. So, ah, sorry. And so in that doorway, that's the moment when Stephen is able to say, Jesus, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. So now, suffering that ends in death, that that is very good. But suffering that doesn't end in death, we can still have that same experience of Jesus, receive my spirit, and seeing him in the open door, and him looking down at us, ready to welcome us uh, back to home. So, now finally, a way to see suffering as um, a, a time to reflect the attitude or the character of Christ. Is it, Stephen's words are exactly the same, or nearly exactly the same words that Luke records Jesus as saying just before he died. Lord, God, Father, do not hold this sin against them. And that's the same thing Stephen was able to shout. Lord, Jesus, don't hold this sin against them. Now, I'm telling you, that attitude just doesn't pop up in you. That attitude comes from a deep, deep relationship with Jesus Christ that enables the Holy Spirit to fill you. Because Stephen was not only able to just say about himself, okay, I forgive these people who are stoning me. He he went further. He said, Jesus, you please forgive these people who are stoning me, and let me go. And so, um, I, I, I want how to, how do we do, how do we get here? How do we do that? How do we get that deep relationship with Jesus so that we can be filled with the Holy Spirit this way? Well, think about your earthly relationships. You love someone, what do you do? Here, here's a few things you do. You spend time with them. In fact, you spend more time with them than maybe you, you stop doing things that you like to do, other things that you like to do in order to spend time with them. You think about them. You think about them a lot, maybe all the time. And then you learn their likes and their dislikes. And then you don't do the things they don't like. And you do do the things they like. And, and one thing that you, you might do, I think, I think most of you do, you dine with them. You take them out to eat or you dine in. You dine out, you dine in. You eat with them because eating, as we've discovered after the service, eating is a special time of communion within the body. Sharing a meal, talking, having fun, that is a, a way to deepen your relationship. Well, so now that's an earthly relationship. I don't want to show of hands or anything, but do you look at your relationship with Jesus that way? I mean, do you think about him all the time? Do you want to spend time with him? Do you want to get in the word? Can you wait to get up in the morning and read your Bible and spend that time with him? Do you think about the things he likes and doesn't like? Um, Do you dine with him ever? You know, in Revelation, in the church of Laodicea, the Christians at Laodicea, Jesus said, to them, behold, I stand at the door and knock. 
if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him. That's a message for Christians. That's, that's a message to us. The question is, do we hear his voice and do we open our heart to him and have that intimate experience of dining with him that he so wants to have with us? God designed us this way. He is wanting a relationship with you. Jesus has done everything he needs to do, and he's continuing through the Spirit. He died for us to have this relationship with us. And this relationship, a deep relationship with him, is the only way that you will be able to ever see suffering as a window to him, as a door to him, or a way to reflect his glory so that God receives the glory through your suffering. So now we want CTK, we want CTK to be a church full of the Holy Spirit. We want to have CTK be a church in deep relationship with Jesus. But the only way to do that is if we're a people with a deep relationship with Jesus and then filled with the Holy Spirit. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for CTK. I am amazed at the people that you have brought into this church. I am amazed at their stories. And I know there's good stories and joyful stories, but there are suffering stories. There's agony, there's pain. And saying that just comes from the fallen world, it's not going to help. We need your spirit. We need your spirit to invade us. We need a deep relationship with with Jesus. Lord, give us that. Help us to see our daily lives as a way to deepen our relationship with Jesus and get the fullness of the Holy Spirit in us. Lord, we, we want that. We need that. Give us that in our daily lives. So just bless CTK as we go. In Jesus' name.